Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And today I'm excited. Our special guest is Irvin Mugent coming to us all the way from Washington, D.C. Irvin is a, a speaker, author. He's an emotional intelligence expert and he works with leaders and leadership. And he's recently released a book called Leadership Lessons from the Pub. I like you already, mate. Welcome. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Rail. From leadership lessons from the pub. Uh, tell me, tell me about this. I mean, uh, uh, can, actually, you know, did you bring a beer? Like, can we do this over a beer? Uh, let me tell you, I, I, I've got a drink, but unfortunately, it's not a beer. I could do with one at the moment, so I could. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the book. Uh, I grew up in Northern Ireland, actually in a pub. Um, my parents owned the pub. We we grew up above it, and um, and later in life, as I started working with organizations and, and leaders. You know, one of the common complaints or one of the common concerns is uh, around engagement and and people. How do you get people engaged and how do you get people to a feeling of belonging in organizations? And the more I thought about that, the more I thought about, hey, you know, here's this, this institution that's been around hundreds of years that people voluntarily go to. They call it their local. And um, in there, people make connections and people have a sense of belonging Um and they, they're vulnerable. They tell stories. They, they don't feel they have to be perfect. And I just thought it was a, a wonderful institution to, to look at. And what's happening? What's some of the dynamics in there uh, that might inform businesses and leadership today? So, so Irvin, let me ask you a question then. With COVID, with coronavirus throughout the world, and cities going into lockdowns and, and pubs being closed, right? You know, yeah. You know, you saw when England opened up, people flocking to the pubs. Yeah. Now, what have we What have we missed there emotionally, as as leaders, managers, and as people? You know, how how critical has this last you know eighteen months or two years been to this human contact? I think tremendous, and I think we're only beginning to learn uh, the impact. I mean, we have done our best virtually, and 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 we have learned how to communicate virtually. But my belief is nothing can take away the power of physical contact between peoples. And there, there's an atmosphere that happens that, that helps people open up, that helps people communicate at a deeper level. And, uh, and I think we've had a tremendous loss. You know, there's, there's an old expression in Ireland, and that is if it wasn't for the pubs, you would have to double the population of psychiatrists. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I think that's true. I, I think there is. And I think, I think we've lost that because. You know, part of what I'm hearing, you know, it, when you have virtual meetings now in businesses, it's kind of meeting after meeting after meeting. There's no real downtime. There's no real time to socialize. And, and so, therefore, I think we've had, we've had a huge impact. So, emotional intelligence, uh, you know, it's a critical piece. You know, we, we've already just agreed that, you know, humans like to connect with each other. But why is it so critical for a leader or a manager? It's critical because, um, you know, when you, 
every leader and manager needs a certain amount of, of intelligence, needs a certain skill set to get the job done. But after that, you know, at the core of leadership is managing people. It's people following. It's the ability to uh, recognize among the people around them what's happening. It's to have their finger on the pulse and to recognize and read other people. So all of that is an essential skill. And, you know, what makes a leader memorable? Well, what people remember really is that emotional connection, the leader that's there for them, the leader that um, really was reading them without them recognizing it. And so that's why emotional intelligence is so critical. You know, so you've developed this term that you've called trigger print and its uniqueness. What is that and why is it so critical? Well, as human beings, uh, we are created to survive. We have tremendous survival instincts. And part of that survival is that we go into a fight or flight situation whenever we feel threatened. And, you know, the present business environment is, is one that is marked with increasing speed, um, increasing complexity. I mean, just look at COVID itself. We brought it up. I mean, just the managing with this crisis. And so, therefore, what happens is people get triggered. People get triggered emotionally. And that has an impact on how people show up. Um, it impacts their ability to learn. It impacts their ability to uh, decide, make decisions. It impacts their ability to socialize. And so, all of that is critically important for a leader to know. What is it that triggers them? And everyone's trigger print is unique. Just like we have a fingerprint, we also have a trigger print. Um, some of it is common with other people, but then some of it is the way we were brought up, our socialization. Some of it was experiences that we had. And all of that um, is important to know. And the greater the awareness of that, then the greater we have to be able to manage um, moments of great tension and conflict. So, so you're saying that this trigger print is something that we each carry Mm -hmm. And it's unique to us. Do, does it stay with us for life? Is that your theory? Like, it, it you know, does, Lindsay. I, I believe it does. I believe that um, trigger prints, depending on um, if triggers, if they happen, the earlier they happen or the more intense they were initially, um, I think we manage them throughout. We don't suddenly just get rid of them. And therefore, I think as we go through life, we learn patterns of how we behave and we learn to manage those. And we also know that say we're walking into a meeting or a situation where one of our triggers might happen, then we're able to kind of think about how would we react? What would we do in that situation? Okay. So, you know, we talk about emotional intelligence, right? And how many people, you know, I find a lot of managers just don't have that level of intelligence to understand their trigger print and and manage it accordingly. You said, you know, you walk into a situation where where there's, you know, something that's going to trigger you and you work out how to manage it. Is there a technique or a skill that people can learn in order to do that? Yeah, so I believe there is, absolutely. Uh, what, what we need is, first of all, everything is grounded on self-awareness. So it's grounded in the ability to uh, spend some time refle and reflecting on, on what are your own triggers. And very often, that that's a process of looking back. So it's a process of um, understanding that you're in a situation when you said or did something you later regret, and then to be able to take that situation and say, okay, then what happened there? What got me? 
Why did it get me? And the more we were, we're prepared to explore that, the more then we're, we can see, oh, okay, this, this is what gets me. So say, for example, um, I had a client recently, and one of her triggers was that when someone talked over her, she totally shut, she totally shut down. And we began to explore that. And of course, it went back to, to even to childhood, to messages of where she was told at a, a, at a table, don't speak up, be silent. And so then the more we looked at that, is that serving the organization? Is it serving you? Um, to not say something. And so one of the techniques that we use was a technique of visualization. So what would it look like uh, for you to act in a different way? How would you, say if someone talks over you, um, what would what would be something you could do? And so eventually she began to kind of imagine a different behavior of actually being quite forceful and saying, actually, I'm not finished. I need a minute to finish my thought. And, and so to begin using that. So, so kind of visualization is one technique I use with clients just to help them kind of reimagine a different pattern or a different behavior when a trigger happens. So then your trigger is, I'm struggling for the word, amendable, changeable, uh, malleable. I, I think so, Lindsay. The word I would use is manageable. We can manage it in different ways, and 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 we can uh, we can change its the power it has on us and the power it has to totally derail us. I think we're always going to have a tinge of the trigger, but it doesn't need to derail us. Okay, it's interesting because I, you know, I uh, I do a lot of work with people and individuals and helping them understand others and their behavioural patterns. Mm-hmm. I guess we're talking about the same thing here, only a slightly, you know, we're just spinning the diamond a little, looking at another facet, perhaps. I mean, uh, people have buying patterns, they have, um, you know, falling in love patterns. They have, there's all sorts of patterns, I guess, that we have as human beings, isn't there? Oh, absolutely, yes. And we are creatures of habit. More often than not, the more reflective we are, the more we will see those patterns become operative in our life. And, and the more aware we are of those patterns and the more power we have to, to really choose um, our, pat- our behavior more methodically. Okay. In your book, you talk about the importance of storytelling in organizations. And, of course, in pubs, I'm, I'm guessing you'd hear stories all the time. Yeah. So why, why is storytelling so critical in the modern work environment? Well, you know, we've been telling stories before we were able to speak. Um, if you go to some of the caves, you'll see the pictures there of events that were happening. So stories have a unique ability to connect with us emotionally. And if you want something to be memorable, if you want something to um, really grab people, there has to be emotional connection. And stories do that in a way that, 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 that nothing else can. So like, like, for example, like I was working a few months ago with some doctors who tended to have very data-driven conversation, et cetera. And I said to them, you know, is there a story you can use that would exemplify what you're trying to express with this data? Because if you tell a story that's grabbing, that exemplifies what you're trying to say, then people will remember that. And, and very often, you know, you stop people after a meeting, you say, what did you remember about the meeting? And if there's a story in that meeting, that's what they're going to remember. And that's really the power of, uh, and used well by a leader. Whoa, you can really convey and communicate a message. So how much of that storytelling goes back to giving a part of yourself. I mean, you spoke about your trigger print being, you know, with, with this particular client of yours, something in their past about, you know, when they were suppressed as a child and, and, and how that, you know, really irritated them. But, but how much of then of the CEO being a storyteller 
comes down to sharing a bit of themselves with a team and being human. I, I believe it is critical because I believe that the workspaces that we know are highly successful are places where there is psychological safety, where um, a leader has created a space where it's okay to be vulnerable. And by vulnerable, I mean not sharing your deepest deepest, darkest secrets, but vulnerable in the sense of being able to say, I don't know, I need help. Um, um, I uh, I got this wrong. Um, here's an example, et cetera. So, you know, the leader has to do that by example. And uh, and so therefore the willingness to, to, to shine light on their life and to use stories, I think is really important. It's interesting you mentioned those things like I got it wrong or I don't know what to do. A lot of executive coaches that I, uh, you know, hang around with say to me, oh, I'm coaching, um, you know, so-and-so executive from this company, but but it's a secret. They don't want anyone to know that they're being yeah. coached oh. because yeah. they don't want to admit that they don't yes. know. Absolutely. It, it's This is crazy. And therefore, we perpetuate really what the the beauty of coaching is about you know coaching is this this ability i mean i was just watching the british open yesterday the golf tournament and uh uh the, the colin uh, Morikawa who won one of the things they said that's so wonderful about him is he's he's not afraid to ask older golfers for their advice uh, and i thought that's great you know it's like it's it's uh, we're we've almost got we we we've got to this this faulty thinking that we have to have everything in place and we have to know everything which is a ridiculous statement so this ability to to realize i'm i'm a work in progress and and someone's going to help me actually become a better me that's a great thing so so going back to your book i'm going to circle back to the pub because you know australians also like a beer now and then the um, <laughs> mild understatement. My <laughs> mild understatement. Yeah, I still play. I still play mas- uh, hockey at a masters level, and and every Thursday after training, we we are sponsored by the local pub, and our team manages to pop down to the local pub for a beer or two for our selection committee meeting for the following weekend, just to just to make sure everyone's selected correctly. Um, how does the pub become the teacher? You know, what what are the lessons we, we we learning in the pub and how does it apply to the organizations? That's a great question. You know, I, I think um, there, there's an American sociologist called Roy Ogdensburg and said there are certain places called third places and the pub is one of them. And there, there are unique places where people gather that, first of all, there is a um, a level playing field that the hierarchy, there's not so much a hierarchy in a pub. You go there and you know the CEO can be speaking to the fisherman, can be speaking to the farmer, and they're all kind of having a drink together. And so there's there's a, an ability there to, to have conversation. Um, there's ability as well that you don't have to have your warts and all. You know, one goes to the pub and you, you don't have to have be the perfect person. And in fact, you're almost celebrated when you bring up your disaster stories or what went wrong. And so there's a there's there's a camaraderie around that, um, but you know my father is a pub owner as well. One of the things that I I saw that he did well is that he really was very deliberate in setting the tone, and he knew the power that he had um, to influence what was happening. And so you know I, I he went down sometimes was tired he was exhausted, but would go in and realize that you know that he had to go and set the tone. And I think that's a big lesson as well. Leaders forget at times the power they have to set the tone and things that are happening around them. And uh, I think that's another big lesson in the pub. I I like that, set the tone. Yeah, so 
So the publican sets the tone of you're here for a, you know, a relaxing time, a fun time. And the leader has that same ability, don't they, I guess, to say, you know, we're here to do some work, but we can have fun too. Um, totally. Now, you talked about the CEO can talk to the fisherman or the farmer at the pub. Is that about equality? You know, um, do leaders need to be more equal with their people in a, in a corporate organisation to make them feel comfortable, to, to get them to set the tone? Well, I mean, I know, I think a problem is that, that at times I often question, and when, I, when I'm coaching leaders, is whose voices are you listening to? And whose voices feel comfortable in expressing um, what they think to you as well? And I think very often CEOs can um, have a very um, filtered um, conversation around them, and they really don't hear what's really happening. And I think in the pub, what's great about that is people aren't afraid to say what they think. People aren't afraid to disagree with each other. And I think there's something good in that. And I think businesses operate better when when all voices are heard and and we we know the history is replete with organizations that made decisions when they didn't bad decisions because they didn't listen to people so so the same way that in a, you know the world's problems are all solved in a pub mm-hmm. you know, if everybody went down to the pub our probably our business solutions would be much easier to come to as well um not a bad idea compared to some of the meetings that I've been in, let me tell you, because some of those meetings, people just want to kill themselves after them and they're so boring and they're stale. And, and I do, I think, um, I think we have to be more creative in how we go around decisions. And I think we have to listen and uh, people feel that they have to have a voice as well to make better decisions. So Irvin, you talked in your book about this concept of a conflict story. Mm-hmm. What, what's it, what's that all about? <laughs> Well, you know, conflict is is part and parcel of life, and uh, we all have a conflict story. We we've grown up with an attitude to to conflict. Uh, for some of us, and indeed many of us, we are conflict averse. We run a, we run away. We do not want conflict. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, others um, uh, like to get stuck in. They like a good old fight and a good old argument. And then sometimes, you know, the problem there is, yeah, the problem there is that that they they they're not able to hold back. So 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 when it comes to you know tension and conflict in an organization, which is needed by the way, it, an organization without conflict is so boring that that really it's it's not it's not doing something right because all organization human contact is inherently has conflict. But what we've got to learn is one of two things. If, if, we're, if we like conflict, we have to learn the skill of, you know, sometimes I just need to hold back and I need to let the conversation happen without me getting stuck in. And then the other one is if I'm pulling back, I, I need to be able to, to hold the tension and to, to have the conflict because if I don't have the conflict, then at times um, what's happening is that, that we're reaching the staleness that, that really we're not reaching a, dis, a, a, a proper decision. So then this is, this is really linked back to that trigger print, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yes. the conflict, I mean, a trigger, you know, uh, could create a conflict or, or, yep. or the conflict could create the trigger or, you know, I, I can see a, a sort of a circle effect here. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, me, uh, for just from my life, I'm very conflict averse. And that happened growing up in Northern Ireland. I mean, I just don't like conflict to say the least. I like safety. And I have had to learn as a leader myself in organizations that I learned that it's that, that my, my, what, how I fooled myself was this. I used to say, oh, it'll sort itself out. Just, you know, let people just have a little argument and therefore I didn't have to get involved. And I realized that at times I left it too late and I really should have been in the middle of it. And so um, knowing that is very powerful. So, uh, I mean, we've been talking today a lot about EQ or emotional intelligence. Well, how many hero, how many leaders actually turn their conflict story into a hero story just to prove that they're better than other people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think they can. I, 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 you know, I think people feel, um, you know, I, I think leaders as well, we have a cultural bias towards leaders that are very direct and um, leaders that get stuck in. And, and I think they do. I think they wear it as a badge, you know, a badge of honor. Whereas um, productive, you know, I think the way I like to, to call conflict is the conflict com- productive or destructive. And I think very often what happens is we have conflict that's destructive. We have conflict that demeans. We have conflict that shuts down. Um, but do we really have conflict around, say, an idea and bringing out the best? And that's the kind of conflict we want. Do you think it's culturally based? Um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, in, from your Irish sort of background, you're saying, oh, it's all right, they'll, they'll sort it out. Uh, and I'm thinking I've got a, a Dutch mate from the Netherlands and he's very direct, like he... You damn well know what he's thinking, and yeah. uh, and he'll tell it to you straight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, do you think there's a difference between the various cultures around the world in terms of this conflict trigger point issue? Absolutely. So, so yes, yeah. so you, here you've, you, you've got kind of a mix of two. You've got culture there, and it's funny you bring up the Dutch. The Dutch are called the most direct people in the world. I mean, they. I have a Dutch friend, and boy, she say things like, a, whoa, okay, we went there. Um, but so there is, there is absolutely cultural, and then – um, culture, say in the macro sense of the bigger culture, but then culture in our family as well. So, so we grow up with with a whole message around conflict in our own own families, and that's all interplaying. So, I um, I think in general, some more uh, some cultures are much more direct, and other cultures are much more indirect. And I think we need to notice that. And then we also have to measure that against the person themselves. So we don't want to make assumptions just because a person's from a certain culture that that's how they're going to act. I mean, I've heard Lindsay speak many times, and, and, and recently I heard him tell a story about his early days as a coach and speaker where he was dealing with a military group in Asia and, 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 and the idea that until the, the, your you know, immediate superior had spoken, you didn't say a yeah. word. Yeah. You know, have, our, have our Western organizations evolved too much that it's almost okay to, 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 to speak your mind without thinking? So I think um, I, I think there's a little judgment in that that we've evolved too much. What I would say is is there is a way of speaking one's mind. So again, I, I think if if sometimes you know people will will say say things which which either destructive or hurtful, and then they'll just say, "Well, I was just speaking my mind," as almost like it was a good thing. Oh, now good. there are ways of speaking our mind, and and I think you know let's just call that what it is. That's just someone just being destructive. And, and so, therefore, I think th- this is where it's important, and this is where emotional intelligence come in. Can we say something 
in a situation that is tense, in a situation perhaps that um, may be received uh, with difficulty by the other person, but can we say it in a way that that is not destructive and actually is 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 building up the person? You you hear that favorite saying of people, uh, "With all due respect," and then they yeah. go off on a tangent and insult Absolutely. somebody. Yes. Oh, totally. Yes. That that's just yeah. When you when you hear that, with all due respect, so here it comes. You know, yeah. Which is yeah. kind of kind of putting a little pretty dress around something that's really quite vicious. So, Irvin, um, I'm you. You've just uh, hit a trigger with me, and the trigger is time's up, buddy. Uh, <laughs> my, my job in this uh, in this podcast is to keep us on track. Sadly, we are, we are out of time. Been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming along and joining us today. My pleasure. And um, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how? What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. The best way is to go to my website, irvinnugent.com. There you'll find uh, free resources. You'll find information on the book. And then also I do a a very uh, popular YouTube channel where I release a YouTube video every week on some aspect of emotional intelligence. And if people want to look at that, uh, go to Irvin Nugent on YouTube and subscribe and you'll get those weekly videos. Thank you very much, Irvin. And thank you for being a great guest and, and emotionally sharing or sharing about emotional intelligence with us on the episode today. Thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to business excellence and excellence in your life.